When politicians stand there and tell you, we're going to bring down your taxes, we're going to make things better. Are they talking about closing your parks, your pools, your libraries, your schools? Are they saying to you what services they're going to cut? No. They try to think you're dumb enough to just buy, we'll cut your taxes, aren't you going to be happy? Well, we're saying to them, bullshit, we're in this fight. For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells, and this is Union Strong. Danny Donahue has been the president of the Civil Service Employees Association, CSEA, for a quarter of a century. He's known as one of the most influential labor leaders who does not mince words. He just recently announced his retirement, and we have the honor of having Danny Donahue here in the studio with us. Danny, thank you for coming on the podcast and welcome. Darcy, thank you for having me. So you've made the announcement, which I'm sure there was a lot of thought that went into this uh, when you're going to leave office. So I'm wondering, first of all, how does it feel? How do you feel about approaching retirement? Actually, I, I it's it's tough because I, I didn't want to retire in one respect. But a number of years ago, I had some surgery and I can understand the wake up call from the good Lord. It tells you. Don't be dumb all the time and be Irish. And I have a wife of 50 years who said it would be nice to become home eventually. So, so those were the issues that were driving me. Okay. Um, now, you've been the president of CSEA for 25 years. Yes. A union representing 280,000 members. Can you give our listeners a picture of just how diverse your membership is? Who is it that you represent? We represent everybody. We represent from doctors and uh, lawyers to ditch diggers and truck drivers, uh, lifeguards. We represent just about every type of category you can imagine in public service in the state of New York. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the old days, you carry an uh, even Mario Cuomo had CSEA cards because they joined us back in the day to get our insurance programs. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Huh. Yeah. Carrie used to say he could vote for us at different times. <laughs> I don't think he ever did, but he <laughs> said it. But he was a card-carrying member. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so earlier, we recorded a couple of moments with the president of the New York State AFL-CIO, Mario Salento, who noted that he's known you for 25 years. Uh, let's give a listen. I first met Danny about 25 years ago. Uh, I was about 24, 25 years old, uh, and I was a staff person at the state AFL-CIO when Danny first came on our executive board as a vice president. And the thing that stood out to me about Danny was simply uh, what a great guy he was on a personal level. You know, he would talk to me as a staff person uh, and just make small talk. He'd come up to me at an executive board meeting or at some other state AFL-CIO event, and he'd, he'd ask me how I was doing or what I was working on. And I cannot express how great that made me feel as this young kid who really didn't know many people in the labor movement, and I really didn't know what I didn't know at the time. Yet Danny, in the position of CSEA president, with all that was going on in his work life, uh, still found the time to talk to somebody like me, just a rank-and-file staff person. And looking back on it now, I can't tell you how that made me feel. And you always remember someone who, who would acknowledge you when no one else knows your name. And that, I think, says it all about Danny Donahue and who he is and why he's been such a successful labor leader. Because the reality is this, in the 25 years that he's led CSEA as the preeminent voice in, in Albany and throughout the state for working men and women, Danny has never lost sight of where he came from. 
And I think that's what made him so successful. The reality is every time Danny would wage a battle on behalf of his members, all these years later, he was still looking through the eyes of his members when he'd fight. It was always we and us. And that's because he remembered what it was like to have to be able to support a family and go to work every day and put a roof over their heads and provide for his children. He still carried those thoughts and those lessons with him throughout a quarter of century service as leader of CSEA. So on a personal level, Danny Donahue uh, really identified with his members. And Danny, I just want to say for me personally, uh, how much you meant to me and, and how much you meant to me, not only now as president of the state AFL-CIO, but more importantly, what you meant to that 25-year-old kid and making me feel like I was a part of this movement and that I could contribute to something. You are a, a great labor leader and an even better and greater human being. Danny, your service to the labor movement is something we'll never be able to repay you on. But I just want to say thank you, and I wish you all the best moving forward, Dan. You deserve all the best in your retirement and your life. So I'm sure you've been hearing some of this over the last uh, few weeks since your announcement. But, you know, what struck me is you do hear that a lot about you, Danny. You're a powerful leader um, and a tough negotiator, but also very just a regular guy, approachable kind of guy. We, we stumble over that. And first off, if I would have known he was only that old, then I would have not talked to him. <laughs> I have okay. socks older than Mario was at that point. No, the, the truth of the matter is, and he's right in one respect. I do remember who I worked for. I worked for those people out there who are doing the jobs every day that governors and mayors take credit for. Mario was the kind of guy who was thrust into the labor movement. And at with a time when Cleary and uh, the others all were looking around saying, who's going to be the next leaders? Where are we coming from? But they come from our members. They come from the people that do the jobs every day. And I'm proud to call Mario Salento a friend. I also think he's out of his mind at times because he puts up with crazy Terry Melvin. But <laughs> by the same token, uh, the two of them have made a great team. They've moved the American labor movement, especially in a state where there's 2 million AFL members, but they moved it forward and they've moved it forward together, not fighting each other. And at times I, I, I know I've stood there and argued with them like crazy. Because we don't always agree. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I love saying we're in the house. Some of us are in the outhouse. Some of us in the main house. But we're in the same house. And we, we have to learn to live and fight together for the common good of those members who pay the dues and do the work every day. So as you look back on your leadership at CSEA, what would you say that you're most proud of? Oh, well, I think what I'm most proud of is the idea that I've been able to bring people together. Uh, I make no bones. Uh, I'm the longest sitting president CSA has ever had. Bill McGowan was there for about 10 years. Uh, Joe McDermott was there for six. I've been there for almost 26 now. And the argument being very simply, the members in CSA all get a val all get a ballot. They can all vote. They can all run for office if they're there a year. So for them to give me the honor and privilege to work for them for this long and to stand with me, it hasn't always been fun. We've had layoffs. We've had fights with governors. We've had bad contracts and good ones. We all understood that there's going to be a time when we're going to need to work together. And they were they were kind enough or crazy enough just to let me stick around. 
I can remember seeing the headlines with some of the huge rallies that you had down in Albany. And I was trying to remember the years those were. Like sometimes there was 10,000, 15,000 members out there, right? Oh, absolutely. We did them in the summertime. We did them against uh, Pataki. We did them against Mario. We fought wars. We fought Democrats and Republicans because we've been screwed by both at different times. The argument being we should never be taken for granted by either party. And we should never let our members be taken advantage of by our own leadership. We're not Democrats and Republicans. We're smart labor leaders and we're smart members of labor unions. What about the biggest challenge since you've been in office? What would you say that was? It's a constant one. It's called apathy. It's the idea that our members take for granted the things we do. They think we can wave a magic wand and get things to to happen for them, and it doesn't. They have to be involved. They have to be out there working with us. When the members don't do what they have to do, like vote in our elections or come out and stand with us on street corners and, and vote for those people we think are really in our best interest, we have people out there who actually vote against their best interest in the name of guns, in the name of bullets, in the name of, well, gee, I'm a good Republican or a good Democrat. Well, if you're a good Democrat or a good Republican, you're dumb. You should be a smart Democrat or a smart Republican because those people don't always do what we need to have done. If a politician stands with us, we'll stand with them. They stand against us, we'll help them become unemployed. Okay. Uh, what about Janice? Was uh, that was that a challenge, do you oh, think? Oh, absolutely. Janice was the hope of a lot of the Koch brothers and, pe- and that ilk that really believe that they can spend millions and millions of dollars and get rid of public employees or get rid of public or get rid of workers in general for unions. The whole goal there was to destroy the labor movement, especially in the private, se- uh, the public sector. When they were doing that, they're spending millions of dollars to say, you guys don't have the right to do anything. No, because we are independent enough to talk to our members about what's real, not about working for a dollar an hour, but for what decent wages with decent pensions and decent futures for our families. When those people hear that, they break out in a rash because after all, they're billionaires. We can spend our money to you know, knock down the working man or woman, wherever they are. Really? That's what this country was built on. It wasn't built on millionaires. It was built on people that worked hard, and they hoped to get ahead. They shouldn't have to worry about the people who already have the money and are there. I understand the trickle-down economy of, of the Ronald Reagan era and some of that. I hate to be trickled on by anybody, though. And we're talking, of course, about the U.S. Supreme Court case where we know people always had the choice to belong to a union or not, but this made it so that you could still benefit, get those benefits of the union and not pay into it at all. And so you did something at CSEA, asked me to um, make your members aware of the benefits of the union. I mean, is that how you think you kind of approach this? And what was the end result? Oh, yes. There was no question because even before Janice, there was a... There was another one, Friedrichs, mm-hmm. which did the same thing, talking about the idea that people can can benefit from the labors of the union but don't have to pay their fair share. And that was the whole argument. I think the Supreme Court was out of their minds when they suddenly say that people can get something for nothing. That's not what this country was built on. You pay your fair share, you work hard, and we all get ahead. When people were told that they, they could get out of unions and still benefit from the from the work that the union did – All that really did was make a union movement weaker if the people bought it. What we did two years early was go out and decide to talk to our members, something the labor movement hasn't always done in the last 20 or 30 years. 
we were out there talking to them, not about grievances and disciplinaries and salaries. We were talk, talking to them about what they see as their union, what hopes and ambitions do they have for their children, their education programs. Where do they see us being, all of us, in 10 or 20 years? Because the labor force is changing. It's changing every day out there. It's up to us to be able to adapt and make things happen, which are good things for our people. And in turn, and this is the saddest thing of all, then those same millionaires who take bows for everything under the sun, they benefit. I love the argument nobody got rich for going out and working hard in public service, but a lot of people go out and get rich by taking bows because they benefit from what we do out there. They can, they can make millions, and we're not against them. But then they should remember that they don't do it alone. Without us, this country wouldn't be the greatest country in the world, contrary to the guy in the White House. And I've heard you talk about this, too, and I've heard it when I've had arguments, maybe arguments is the wrong word, discussions with people about state employees. When you're talking about state employees, you know, local employees, city employees, um, people would talk about taxpayer-funded lavish benefits. And I, th I think I've heard you say that, um, you know, instead of being angry that they have that, you know, why don't you should be fighting to have that as well, right? Oh, absolutely. There's no question. There's no benefit for someone saying, let's take away the benefits for public employees and give them, and that's the end of it. Mm -hmm. No, what people should be saying is, why can't we get what public employees have? Back in the days, we paid for our health insurance for years. When people were making 9% raises, we were making three and still paying for our benefits. Mm -hmm. When our people are out there every time, every night plowing roads, taking care of patients in hospitals, being there when the snowstorm hits or the flood hits or, the, or suddenly there's a disaster out there, we, our public employees are the first ones in and the last ones out. No knocking anyone else out there with badges or not. The idea is our people are the first ones in and the last one to ever leave a fight. More importantly, when they start talking about these lavish pensions and stuff, you're not talking about my members. Mm -hmm. You're not talking about the people who really do the work. You may be talking about the assistant associate commissioner or whatever you want to call them, but then please call them that. When I hear people talk about how much our, our pensions cost, our pensions on average in CSEA are something in the neighborhood of almost $40,000. Mm -hmm. In this state, you're barely able to pay your taxes for that. What we're saying to the public is think about us as, a, as necessary and vital. When you when you got a snowstorm out there and there's nobody to plow the roads, when you have children that have to go to school and there's nobody to drive a school bus, when you have people in a nursing home and there's no one to take care of them, then then you're going to want our people out there. They do the job every day. They don't, they're not the mayor. They're not the governor. They're not the president taking bows for everything that goes on. But the first time the mayor, the governor, or the president drive a plow truck, go out and take care of a patient, do the work that our members do every day, is the day I think they'll earn their paychecks. Um, let's talk a little bit about how you got into the labor movement. Did you come from a union background? Well, not necessarily, although my father helped build the bartender's union in Brooklyn back at a long, long time ago. Okay. But I was one of those people who understood you were always part of a union. It was never, I never thought about not being part of a union. But it was one of those deals where a friend of mine said to me at one point, would I help him run for office in Central Islip Psychiatric Center? And I said, sure. I went on vacation, came back and said, how do I help you? He said to me, do you ever consider running for president? So I asked him what that meant. And my, as my wife would really love me saying this, uh, it meant only one night a month. I've been married to that crazy woman for 50 years. 
And she believes that one night a month was at home uh, <laughs> because I do about 100 to 125 nights oh, a year on yeah. the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, out there, it's the old joke, wherever there's three members together, I'll talk to them. Because that's what the union movement's about. Mm-hmm. Communications, working together, finding out what people think. Too often, and it's not just talking to them, it's listening to what they say. The labor movement started in basements, hallways, churches, where people wanted a voice. They don't want a voice to tell the, the managers and the owners of the companies to more or less go to hell in the handbasket. What they were saying is they want a voice in how things are run. They want a voice in the, and they want a decent pay. They wanted pensions. They wanted what we don't have today. Mm-hmm. Today, if you're hired by a company, you're looking to get a 401k mm-hmm. and maybe some matching funds. But yet, you ever see what a, the CEO makes? Do you ever see what the corporation people make? And we're guilty as everybody else. The labor movement stopped talking and listening to its members years ago. And we started investing. Well, we can have investments, but we can have reasonable investments. We can have investments that make things better for everyone, including the workers who do the work. I've heard you talk about CSEA being a member-driven union. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is too often unions can get to be what they don't want to be. They can get to be corporations. We can be IBM. We can be the governor. We can be this. No, what it means is that members have a voice. Every member, as I said, in CSEA gets a ballot. They can all vote. They can all run for office if they've just been here a year. But more importantly, we have levels of CSEA at every level where the members work in their locals, in their units, where if they participate, they can have a great voice. I was a write-in candidate in my local back in 1973. Is that right? Oh, yeah. And no one, as you know, Darcy, no one wins write-ins. No, no. But the idea was the fact that they, I'd love to say they loved me more than they loved the guy that I beat, but they didn't like him. He wasn't listening to them anymore. And so you won by the write-in yes, ballot? Yes, 2,700 members, and uh, I got to be their president, and they were crazy enough to keep me around for eight years until I moved on. But the idea was the fact that they were, they were looking for leadership. They were looking for people who could represent them and represent them fairly, not looking for promotion over somebody else, not looking to to wear Brooks Brothers suit or drive a Rolls Royce, but they wanted someone who cared. And to me, the whole idea of the labor movement is if if we really mean the old axiom about an injury to one is an injury to all, that means we're working to help everybody. Because if we're not doing that, then we're only lying to ourselves. And some final thoughts or advice, I guess, on who the next president of CSCA uh, will be. What what advice would you want to give to that person? I would say don't give up. There's going to be moments in time when you're going to think that everybody's against you and nobody's listening. There are members out there who want to, they want leadership. They want to be part of something that can make a difference in their lives. What you have to remember is the fact that it's not always as clear cut as you'd like it to be. People are going to speak different languages and they're going to have different understandings of what you're saying to them. You have to work with them. It's not going to be easy. But if you work together, if the labor movement can get its head out of its butt at times and really understand that our members make the difference and who we work for, we can change anything in this country. And I would say that's what the leaders should do. Well, as I said at the beginning of the program, you're not one to mince words, so you you didn't disappoint. Danny, you made significant gains for your members. We thank you for that, and we thank you for taking the time today and wish you a very healthy and happy retirement. Congratulations to you. Thank you, Darcy. 
Joining me now on the podcast is our digital director, Kevin Eitzman. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Darcy. So it was interesting uh, listening to uh, some of the stories, even after we got off the air with Danny uh, over the years and, and what he's put into his leadership there at CSEA. Absolutely. I mean, he, he really is the honest and true character that you see, you know, on and off the microphone. He, he is that that person. And post Janus, we're really seeing the legacy of what he's been saying for a long time, that we need to be membership driven as a labor movement. We really need to reach out and talk to the members and hear from them and interact with them and one of the ways we're doing that is this podcast, right? So if you have stories to tell, if you want to get in touch with us, contact us on social media, direct message, any way you can. We want to uh, hear from you and, and be involved and be part of the conversation. Right. And this is one way for people to do it, to get involved by sharing this podcast. We'd be happy for you to do that. We want to get the word out to people. And definitely we'd like to hear from you, too. So thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Darcy. Thanks for listening to the Union Strong podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe and give us a rating. This has been a production of the New York State AFL-CIO. Our president is Mario Salento. Our secretary treasurer is Terry Melvin. We're a federation of 3,000 unions representing 2.5 million union members, retirees, and their families with one goal, to raise the standard of living and quality of life of all working people. We keep New York State Union strong by fighting for better wages, better benefits, and better working conditions. For more information on the labor movement in New York, visit nysaflcio.org. Until next time, stay union and stay strong.